This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hi, it's Ashley Hales, host of the Finding Holy Podcast. Here in the Finding Holy Podcast, we talk about things that matter. And if I had my way, I'd be all about all the big things all the time. But I'm learning how the best ideas work themselves out in countless small ways. That's how we find holy. So the Finding Holy Podcast is the spot where I sit down with my guests to connect the dots between the things that matter and your everyday holy life. You'll love what my guest this week has to share. If you struggle to figure out how to belong to a place, how to not stick out like a sore thumb, maybe when you're traveling or maybe just when you move to a new place, you'll love to hear the wisdom from my guest. And if you have a dog, you'll find some secrets to belonging to. My guest is from America, but she lives in Canada. She's trying to renovate their home in the city and still be a good neighbor. Plus, she has a laundry song, you guys. You won't want to miss it. Jen Pollock Michelle is one of the wisest friends I know. She is the award-winning author of Teach Us to Want and Keeping Place. She writes widely for print and digital publications, and she travels to speak at churches, conferences, and retreats. Jen holds a BA in French from Wheaton College and an MA in Literature from Northwestern University. She's married to Ryan, and they have five school-aged children and live in Toronto. Jen and I talk today about how you can belong to a place when you're an expat, our longings for home, and her amazing laundry song. You won't want to miss this conversation about the incarnation, owning dogs, and how we belong to our places. Here's my interview with Jen. Today, I am super excited to welcome Jen Pollock-Michelle. She is here all the way from Toronto. Welcome, Jen. I know. I traveled really far. Yes. (laughs) The amazing speed of the internet. (laughs) Here at the Finding Holy podcast, I am really interested to sit down with guests and talk about how all of these big ideas, big things, things that matter, how do they actually work their way out into our everyday lives? So the hope is as we sit down together, we'll begin to connect those dots between the things that matter and your ordinary life. And I thought Jen Michelle is a wonderful guest because she's not only written about so many of these things, but she lives them as well. So thanks for being here, Jen. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's wonderful. So Jen is the author of three books. Two are out now. One is in process. And her second book is called Keeping Place. And as we are thinking about this theme this season about home and belonging in place, I wanted Jen to come on and just maybe give us a few sentences about that book, Keeping Place, and where it came from in your own personal life, Jen. Yeah. uh, Seven and a half years ago, our family moved to Toronto from Chicago. So um, the book was really born out of a longing for home, um, just kind of that story, um, you know, of being sort of in between places. We originally came to Toronto thinking it was kind of a short-term adventure and it's turned into 
possibly what might be a lifetime, um, which is exciting. So the book is, yeah, born out of a curiosity of, you know, what does home mean? How am I supposed to understand this in my life with God? Mm. And, um, you know, how, how, does, how does the gospel satisfy that longing? Mm-hmm. So how have you felt that that's kind of worked its way out as you have sought to belong to Toronto? Maybe at first kind of thinking, oh, this is a fun adventure to then kind of having this, wow, this might be it. This is might be where I am. This might be where God has me. What does that kind of look like for you on a practical day-to-day basis? I mean, right now, it honestly looks like walking my dog in the neighborhood that we right. bought a house in. So even just the decision to buy a house in Toronto was kind of a big one. Um, we sold our house in Chicago this last summer. We we bought a house. And I think that was just a really material way of saying, like, we're, we're here. We're invested. Mm-hmm. And um, we want to get to know a certain street and mm-hmm. people on that street. And um, so, like, today, as I'm walking my dog around the neighborhood, I'm thinking about all the different neighbors that I've gotten to meet and I'm Mm. praying for them by name. Mm. Um, And I think that's a really, yeah, I think it's been sort of interesting actually having a dog. We've only had a dog for like two months, but it's opening up our neighborhood in in ways, in completely unexpected ways. No, I remember we used to have a dog. That's a whole nother story, but we used to have a dog. And it was a very easy way to get to know people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you know, lonely people, you know, mm-hmm. we have, there's a man across um, just on the other side of the block whose wife died recently. And so he's out with his little chihuahua mm-hmm. and we're getting to know his whole story. And mm-hmm. it's amazing, especially in a city like Toronto, which tends to be very busy and people probably prefer kind of a polite anonymity. Mm-hmm. Um, just when you walk your dog around the neighborhood, it's amazing to see that actually there is everyone has this longing for connection mm-hmm. and a dog is just kind of an invitation to stop and chat a while mm-hmm. yeah and just how can you be present in your actual daily life and work out those sorts of you know bigger ideas about longing and community just by mm-hmm. saying hello to someone and hearing their story yeah that is absolutely that's, that's great um so how have you been kind of encouraged to live out this life in a city, you know, you're a mom to five kids, you're active in your local church, you're a writer, you're a speaker, you're traveling. How do you kind of stay rooted in your place? And as well as how does that life in your place kind of work with your, the life that you experience with God? So how do you kind of hold those two in tandem, both your actual physical place and, you know, your, your home with God? Yeah, I mean, that is a really big idea, isn't it? I mean, I think I would first say (laughs) that just belonging to an amazing church that identifies so deeply with um, our city. Mm. So one of the things that our church, we call ourselves a church in the city for the city. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and it really is more than a tagline. Every every Sunday morning, we have a moment in our service where we pray for the church and the city. And it's mm. not just like these kind of abstract sort of mm. ethereal things that we pray for. Like we mm. pray for um, the school board when it goes on strike. We pray for right now, there was um, just in the last month, there was a large fire that displaced 600 people in a neighborhood that's um, just right adjacent to where our church is. Um, so we pray for that. Mm -hmm. You know, we pray for the victims of that fire. And I think that just, that sort of works its way into your being and Mm -hmm. in terms of 
um, that being a practice of worship, like actually mm, the way that. that we worship together. And then you sort of take it into your everyday life and you think, you know, where is God calling me to practically be the hands and feet of Christ? Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's an ethos of our church that, that I've, I've learned to appreciate and then also just kind of live out. Um, and in my own book, uh, I guess I would say, like, it's interesting. To, I sort of went into the book wanting to explore the longing for home. And what I ended up with was a whole half of the book talking about the labor of home. Hmm. You know, just this idea that if as human beings we long for home and the gospel satisfies the longing for home, we're, you know, God himself took up work um, to meet the longing, the deepest longings of the human heart to reconcile us to himself. And, and now if we live into that story, it means that we too are kind of called to take up that work of homemaking mm. um, in the world. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I use the metaphor of housekeeping mm-hmm. in my book. because I really do think like these everyday practices are often kind of the most mundane, ordinary things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's stopping to talk to your neighbor. It's taking a meal. It's, it's driving a friend's kids to school. It's mm-hmm. calling somebody who's been sick. It's, you know, I think so often we look for God and kind of the cosmic things. Yes. And really, it's just, it's sort of in the plane of the everyday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's so much... Um, I really wanted to start the Finding Holy podcast because I think there's both this understanding that God does show up in ordinary elements of bread and wine and water, all of these sorts of things. And yet we we can easily overlook him in our actual ordinary lives. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, one book that I've loved, and I think you and I have chatted about it, was uh, Kathleen Norris's Quotidian Mysteries, yes. Laundry, Liturgy, and Women's Work. And she says in there, she comes to know God, really, again, by watching this Catholic priest during the Mass, cleaning up, and she has this epiphany of the priest does the dishes, you know, that God somehow enters into our really ordinary, mundane, you know, tasks of housekeeping and that those imbue the tasks of housekeeping with a weight and a gravity that we don't want to actually acknowledge. Anyway, I think there's just so much to be gained in understanding how our very ordinary acts, even of doing the dishes, doing the laundry, actually has much larger spiritual implications. Mm -hmm. So I do like to ask all my guests what your laundry routine is. What's your (laughs) laundry routine? And the reason I ask this, right, is because I think these small little things just give us not only a picture into, you know, our personalities and everything, but they do help us to understand how we can take all of these big ideas and make them practical. Because no matter if we have books published or we're speaking or we're professors or authors, that all of these things, we all have to like get dressed in the morning and make dinner and do the laundry. And so how do we do those things well? And what does that have to say with how we live out the kingdom of God in a daily way? Yeah. So what's your laundry routine? My laundry routine, it used to be that I would do laundry on Mondays and Thursdays. So I had kind of two days that... Those were the, those were the days dedicated to the laundry, and what that looks like, though, really isn't just. I'm actually not the only one doing the laundry. I tend to gather it if I um, don't have time. I have my kids like bring it to the laundry room. I wash everything, and then I return it to their hampers, and I expect them to fold it or hang it and yes. put it away. So laundry is actually kind of a family affair. Mm-hmm. And when my kids were younger, we used to have a um, a song that accompanied our Ooh. laundry routine. And I could even sing it for you now. Yeah, I, I think you. Sh- you, you, you might. Think I, should? I think you should. Um, 
It's the laundry party. It's a laundry party. Woo, woo, woo. I love it. I like fold. I like to fold. Fold. I like to put it away. I like to put it away. All right. It's a so laundry good. party. <laughs> anyway, um, but that was just sort of, I've always involved my kids mm-hmm. in the laundry and mm-hmm. I've tried to make it something fun too. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so tell me, and, and thanks for singing. That's just awesome. <laughs> um, it's so good. So tell me, like, what is that for you and your life with God that's helped make something mundane a celebration, right? If it's a laundry party. Yeah. So yeah. how, like, what is that internal shift been for you to take something that mm. could just be boring or we could be resentful or bitter? Tell me about that spiritual discipline, really, of making laundry a celebration. Yeah, I think that kind of the modern condition is to feel affronted at those Mm -hmm. kinds of tasks. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness, you know, how dare I have to, you know, deign to do the laundry. I have more important things to do. Mm. Um, And I think really it is derived from this idea of the incarnation um, that God, you know, took up Mm -hmm. a body and was not affronted at the task of reconciling humanity to himself. Like he actually scorned the shame of the cross. He Mm. despised it. He took it. It up for the joy that was set before him. And so even Jesus himself could see a greater joy in something deeply em- embodied and humiliating for mm-hmm. him. And so the and so while I kind of feel as a human being, like a 21st century woman, sort of that this the laundry is something beneath me, mm-hmm. um, I think just to, to live into the story of Jesus Christ and, you know, a mm-hmm. Philippians 2 kind of idea. And that, yeah, I mean, I think there's just all kinds of ways that we can do that, where we can take up the housekeeping and we can actually look at salvation itself as an act of the housekeeping. And I, you know, like you look at like a John 13, Mm -hmm. Jesus is preparing to um, take up the cross. And what is he doing? He's taking up a basin and a Mm -hmm. towel, Mm -hmm. washing the disciples' feet. And he's saying, this is an example that I've set for you. Do this Mm -hmm. for one another, you Mm -hmm. know, just as I've done for you. And it's not a task beneath me. So neither should it be a task beneath you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's just, it's mind blowing, right? That, Mm -hmm. yeah, it just again and again shows you the type of God we have who is entering into the mass willingly, humbly, kindly to serve his creation. It's Mm -hmm. absolutely mind blowing. Um, So tell us a little bit, you have another book coming out next year called Surprised by Paradox. And tell us the subtitle because I think this is so important. The promise of and in an either or world. So rather than kind of focusing on, you know, throwing, lobbying insults across party lines or any other ways that we choose to kind of divide ourselves, you are looking at the idea of paradox in the Bible to kind of open up our doubts and our uncertainties um, to kind of live out the Christian life in maybe a more nuanced way than we, we see. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, it's even like thinking about the laundry as kind of a both and proposition. As something mm-hmm. very ordinary and holy. Mm. Um, yeah. That's great. Um, and it's so needed. I feel like, you know, you just look at our Facebook feeds and you get mm-hmm. people just yelling at each other. And we've kind of lost the ability to understand and to converse with one another if we have ideological differences. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot of ways of um, embracing the idea that, that God is so much bigger than the binary. Like I think that our world mm-hmm. sort of right now is just forcing us into a binary way of thinking mm-hmm. like left mm-hmm. or right or right, you know, yep. wrong or right. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, I think that so many things in scripture and so many things in the story of God just don't break down into those categories. And so to be formed in the kind of people who can, you know, abide tension, Mm -hmm. who can creatively beyond the binary, who Mm -hmm. can listen well um, to differing perspectives, who can believe that God is in those places of tension. Um, That's kind of my invitation in the book. That's great. And so what are the, maybe you could just share with us like one little story, either you tell in the book or one practical thing for our listeners to kind of like, how do you live out this sort of open-handed, generous sense of being able to abide tension and mystery in a way that doesn't simply make everything about ideas and something that's just essential esoteric, you know, how do we live that invitation, that surprise by paradox in our actual, you know, Monday mornings when we're headed off to the gym or to work or picking up the kids or whatever it is that we're doing? What does it look like for you to make that practical? Because I I think for me, I'm like, oh, yes, I love all the ideas. And let me think about all the metaphors of scripture and literature. And so the challenge, at least for me, and kind of why I'm starting this podcast is how do we connect the dots between, you know, the idea of paradox or the idea of belonging to our places and actually get it into our bodies? Yeah, the book actually started in a very practical place. I say at one point early on that the book started in a counselor's office that Mm -hmm. I actually was um, in a very difficult relationship with a member of my extended family. Um, This particular person had kind of proven... um, a lot of unreliability mm-hmm. and um, there was a lack of trust in the relationship, but there was also a great deal of need in the relationship. So on the, on the one hand, I felt like this is somebody I really want to be generous to. This is somebody I want to help and serve. And then on the other hand, I was like, I think I'm taken, being taken for a fool here. You know, that mm-hmm. this is a person who's not telling me the truth consistently. And so it was, it was a little bit along that, that feeling the tension of grace and truth, like mm-hmm. grace. Do I just um, sort of mm-hmm. pretend that, that he's telling me the truth when he's most likely not? Mm -hmm. Um, Or do I just sort of, you know, wield truth, you know, like the sword and, Mm -hmm. and um, sever the relationship. And when I went to the counselor's office, she put the question to me like this, what if there's a third way? Mm. You know, what if there's a way beyond what you're actually considering? I mean, for me, it was like, either do I suffer the lying or do I sever the relationship? Mm -hmm. And I really kind of went into it with those were my two options. Those were my two alternatives. And she, you know, sort of pressed me to think, more creatively. Mm -hmm. I think so many situations in our lives um, with God, with others, um, could really benefit from a lot of creativity. Mm -hmm. And I I make the argument that God is like an infinitely creative God in the sense that he took up up a body and Mm -hmm. he remained God. Mm -hmm. This paradox of the incarnation invites us to think that beyond the binary, you know, that it wasn't that Jesus was either God or man. He was both God and Mm -hmm. man. And so just even, even to sometimes pose the question, have I, have I considered all of the alternatives in this particular situation? Or do I just have two? <laughs> you right. know, either this or that. That itself can actually, that can just invite us into places of imagination mm-hmm. um, with God. I think that's a, a prayerful imagination, I would say, a way mm-hmm. that we sort of say, God, I, I, I don't even know what you could be up to in this particular situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but help me to see your creative wisdom. And so in that situation with that relationship, it means that I've, 
I've tried to do both. Um, I've tried to both tell this person, I can't help you unless you tell me the truth, but I'm sticking with you. Mm, mm, That's beautiful. So yeah, this, this idea of, do I have any other options? What are the alternatives? And then inviting God into that creative process, that imagination for your people, for your place. I think that's wonderful. That's super helpful. Thank you. Um, So I think too, as we talk about this idea of belonging and place um, and that, you know, the temptation is to always to focus on ideas or abstractions. I'd just like to invite you maybe to share one particular way that you are kind of working out the particularities of your faith in your place. And I know that that can sound a bit abstract, but maybe um, I'm just thinking, I know that you guys are renovating a home. So maybe even if there's something there in kind of that story, that's just something very practical. Lots of people do either their house is, you know, too old or they need a little bit more space or whatever, they're making it nicer. Um, What have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about your place as you guys are um, kind of undergoing this renovation process? That's a very interesting question. Um, yeah, we bought this um, 1940s um, kind of very typical Toronto house, three bedrooms, one bath, and we have seven people in our families. So right. Like, maybe we'll want to give, maybe expand it a teeny bit. Um, and just, we were so excited, just really feeling like this is a way that we can root ourselves in our place, um, just to actually like just have a permanent address and, mm-hmm. and, and get to know the neighbors on. Um, on our street. And then we were confronted very early on in the process with some difficult um, difficulties with our neighbors. Um, They, although we invited both neighbors on both sides early into the process, like, you know, we have our, we have plans. um, Let's talk about it. You know, feel free to share any feedback. I mean, just recognizing that to do a renovation in a city like Toronto, where your house is two feet off the property line in my in in my neighborhood, like it's very disruptive for the neighbors. So we didn't mm-hmm. want them to feel as if we were just sort of barreling ahead with our plans, right. um, regardless of how they felt about it. Um, so in neighbors in conversations with neighbors on one side, they brought up a couple of um, you know sort of objectives. I guess I would say, or maybe concerns. And we addressed those concerns and changed um, the plans. And while on the other side, um, we made the same offers to them. And then it came down to like literally days before our meeting, our hearing with the city on our plans that they said, oh, actually we have objections too. <laughs> and it, it didn't, it just, it was a very difficult process. I mean, it's such a long story, but at the end of the day, I think there was actually kind of a both and even mm-hmm. in that particular particular situation because we're we're literally at this point four days away from the committee hearing mm. and there's no way to make any material changes to the plans it's just right. too late in the process and to be able to say both you know I we hear your concerns we want to be good neighbors um, at this point it feels like the train has left the station I think is how I put it to my neighbor mm-hmm. um, it just was so incredibly difficult. It it caused um, tension in our relationship. I think um, I think we've just been sticking with it. We've mm. been trying to stick with um, just kind of a friendly posture to them, um, a commitment to say we want to be good neighbors. Um, 
And in some ways, like the dog has helped. They got right. a puppy. We got a puppy. Um, <laughs> and, you know, interestingly enough, I was just speaking with her uh, several days ago. And, and I think the, the troubled waters have, have calmed. Mm. Um, it's not been a perfect process. At the end of the day, they're not happy with some of the things that we're doing. And we weren't able to change that. And I think right. that's just a real place of tension for me. Mm-hmm. And it's um, hard. I think we yeah. think, okay, if I do all the right things and I'm kind and generous and I bend over backwards, then we'll be okay. And life doesn't work out like that all the time. It doesn't. But, and I think you're yeah. telling, you know, you're telling us the the discipline of staying present and staying open and generous and um, continuing to be vulnerable for the sake of relationship and community is worth it. Even if you experience that same kind of backlash of tension. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. A lot of people sort of were advising us, not necessarily our Christian friends, but other people are like, well, you have rights in this. Just insist upon your rights. Mm-hmm. You have the mm-hmm. right to do whatever you want, you know, mm-hmm. on your mm-hmm. little plot of land. Mm-hmm. And that's just not ever, that's not language that, that Ryan mm-hmm. and I really f- connect with as Christians. Mm-hmm. Not, what Instead of thinking about the rights that we could lay claim to, it was more like, what are the responsibilities mm-hmm. that we have mm-hmm. in, this, um, in this situation? And our greatest responsibility is to bear witness to Christ. Yeah to his hope, um, to, to the freedom that, you know, we don't have to have certain things, you know, mm-hmm. we would have changed certain things if it, if, if it had been possible. Um, so I think, I think it's a long-term process. I mm-hmm. think being a neighbor and that's, and that's an argument for staying put in a place mm-hmm. is that it just takes a long time, especially in a city like Toronto, which is incredibly mm-hmm. secular, mm-hmm. to really bear witness to yeah. the goodness and the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And so we do our small things with great love. Yes. Again absolutely. and again and again. <laughs> 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 Including celebrating the laundry. Exactly. It's yes. a laundry party. <laughs> yes. I love it. Well, if you um, want to connect with Jen, I will go ahead and leave all of the information about her books and where you can connect with her online in the show notes. But it's been such a pleasure to have you, Jen. Thank you for your vulnerability, your wisdom, your thoughtfulness about belonging to place. And y'all want to make sure you bookmark her laundry song. It might be useful for your own laundry routine. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you. I'd love to know what you think about how you stay put right where you are. One thing I want to make sure that the Finding Holy podcast does is point you to a few small starting points between the big ideas and your actual everyday life. It's the sort of thing you see at the end of every chapter in my book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs. And so we'll do it here on the podcast too. So following up on my interview with Jen, here is one small starting point. Take a walk with or without a dog or kids. This little step allows you to meet neighbors. It allows you to begin to hear their stories. So schedule a walk in your neighborhood this week. Simply start paying attention to the needs around you. As you walk more regularly, you'll meet people, you'll see needs to meet, and you'll make time and space to pray and reflect. Thanks for listening to the Finding Holy podcast, where we connect the dots between the things that matter and your everyday holy life. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and I'd be grateful for a review so more people can find us. So until next time, remember, things matter, but 
so does the laundry. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.